So how's the new year started? Has it been going well? My new year has started off well, thankful for it, and um, want of all of you to pray, very specifically, at 4.40 today, the Green Bay Packers are going to be playing. And no, the Vikings, nah, not happening, so we're praying for God's will to rest upon and bless the Green Bay Packers as they're moving towards winning the Super Bowl. One other thing that I just want to make mention of is that as we're stepping into next week where we're going to be looking at a week-long uh, time or season of fasting and prayer, one of the big things we're going to ask you to pray with us about is that 2016, by the leadership of City Church, has been set aside is the year where we're going to prayerfully and very aggressively begin to look for what's next for a permanent home for City Church. And so, just so you know, behind the scenes, we have a lot of things going on. I've learned the hard way that you don't talk about those publicly until things are signed, sealed, and delivered. But we are really trusting God that he will guide and direct our steps. This auditorium and this facility has been incredible for us. We're extremely thankful for it. It's done what we've really felt that we needed to do. Um, but as we look into the future, we know uh, that we need a permanent facility sometime in the future. And so 2016, again, is going to be a time of prayerful listening to God, investigating some more things, and just really trusting God for the future. Now, what we're doing as a church family is we are moving through, very methodically, uh, the first of our three pillars that City Church stands on. We have three pillars. They are known as real devotion, real relationship, real generosity. And so last week, I began this multi-week teaching series as we're taking a look together as what it means to be a group of people who follow Jesus and serve others with real devotion to Christ. And so last week, the teaching took a look at the shepherds. They are the first people in the Newer Testament that while Jesus had just been born, they demonstrated real devotion to Jesus. And in looking at that, we took an in-depth look at the idea that four or two out of the four names that were announced through Jesus' birth, two of them spoke of him being the Savior. And so we took a look at what does it mean to be really in real devotion to Jesus? Well, it begins with recognizing that Jesus is Savior and then coming to him and asking him to save us literally from our very selves. This week, as we take a look at real devotion we're going to hit biblically what literally is the central theme of real devotion in Scripture. And I'm going to have some verses that I'm going to read for you, and you're going to see a word that's repeated in many of the verses that I'm going to read. There's going to be a pile of them. I'm going to read through them quickly, and I want you to look for this word that keeps being repeated in the Scriptures. 1 Samuel 16 says this, When they entered... He looked at Eliab and thought, surely the, the Lord, Lord's anointed is before him. But the Lord said to Samuel, by the way, what's happening is the Old Testament prophet is looking for the king that will succeed Saul or secede Saul. And here's what 
the prophet says. But the Lord said to Samuel, do not look at his appearance or at his height or his, of his stature because I've rejected him. And this becomes key. For God sees not as man sees. For man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. Genesis 6, 5. The Lord saw how great the wickedness of the human race had become on the earth and that every inclination of the thoughts of the human heart was only evil all the time and the flood is what comes next. Psalm 51.10, the psalmist cries out, Create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Psalm 119 says, I have hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. Deuteronomy 6 says, these commandments that I give you today are to be on your hearts, not just in our heads, but in our hearts. Matthew 6, 21, Jesus speaking here says the following, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Romans 10, 10 says this, for it is with your heart that you believe and are justified, and it is with your mouth that you profess your faith and are saved. Revelation 1.3. At the very beginning of the book of Revelation, here's what the scripture says for that book specifically. Blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy and are blessed, and blessed are those who hear it and take it to heart what is written in it because the time is near. Psalm 19:14 says this, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be pleasing in your sight, Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Jeremiah 29:13 says this, you will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. Proverbs 16:9, in their hearts Human beings plan their course, but the Lord establishes their steps. Ephesians 1.18 says this, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened. What a creepy thought. You have little eyeballs in your heart. Ephesians 1.18 says, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in his people. And then the final verse, Proverbs 4.23. This is one of my wife Fran's favorite all-time verses. Above all else, guard your heart. For everything you do flows from it. Want to read that again? Above all else, guard your heart. For everything you do flows from it. Do you have any guesses as to what the center of real devotion is? It involves your, what is it? Heart. So what we discover very quickly with a cursory reading of Scripture is that the heart of real devotion is your heart. Anytime when you read Scripture where you see the heart mentioned, please know this, that what God is talking about is the very center of who you are. It's the part that God wants. 
It's the part that God's looking for. It's the part that God seeks in you and in me. He wants your heart. To illustrate that, I think about all the sports that I played. No matter what sports you play, a coach at some point will say to you, if you want to make contact with that person, watch their waist. A human being cannot go where their waist does not go. Spiritually, the heart is the center of real devotion to God. Where your heart goes, you go. God wants your heart. So as we look at this idea of heart, I started thinking, what would it look like as a pastor if somehow I could manufacture a device that would help you to monitor your spiritual heart? What would that look like? So what I did was, I have a friend of mine here at City Church, Josh Kramer. He was up front with the worship team. He's one of the techies that makes everything happen. And he has one of those Apple watches. So I called Josh. He had showed it to me several months ago when it first came out. And so I asked Josh, I said, Josh, tell me about the apps on the Apple phone that help you with your heart. So he said, oh, there's a bunch of them. And he began to explain them. There are apps on your Apple phone that will track your sleep. So if you move in your sleep or your heart rate goes up, there's an app that will map that and let you know how well you've slept. There are apps that kind of track your heart rate. That would be great for those of you that are dating. You could look over and look at his Apple phone and if the rate's not up, you know you're in trouble. That app, he said, there's an app for exercise. And by the time when you're done exercising, it will give you your heart rate and how long it took for your heart to calm down. And most importantly, how many calories you did not burn while you were exercising. He also said that there's an app that you can get for your phone that when you set your exercise goals, it will give you a little rewards or gold awards on your phone when you've achieved what you've wanted to achieve. And he also said there is an app for your Apple phone that, or your Apple watch, that while you have it on you, if you have goals like you want to walk around for one minute every hour on the job, will actually buzz you. And it'll let you know it's time for you to get up and walk around. See, there's all these apps for the human heart. So I thought, what app or what thing could I create as a pastor that would help us with our spiritual hearts? What I determined was the best thing would be like a shock collar for dogs. (laughs) When you have a bad thought, it zaps you. When When you have a good thought, it doesn't zap you. Now, let me explain the dilemma that we would run into quickly. Please don't think less of me as we process through this. But I have a partial dog at my house. Real dogs are 40 pounds or more. This dog is a partial dog. She weighs 15 pounds, unless you throw her in the lake, and then she weighs about 18 pounds soaking wet. No, I'm just kidding, but we have this little miniature schnauzer. Her name is Lily. 
By the way, thank God one of my daughters rescued a real dog from the dog pound. We also have a blue tick hound that is a real full dog, so let me just reference the partial dog. One of the problems with miniature schnauzers is they have the shrillest bark you've ever heard in your entire life. I literally have friends that when they come to our house, they'll say, Pete, I'll meet you outside. I don't feel like going through that ever again. I mean, the bark is so shrill. So we realized we needed to do something about it. So I went to the pet store and I said, what can I do? My dog barks. And the guy said, look, this is fail. This is just completely, it's going to work. It's fail safe. It's, and, and I said, well, what is it? He said, this is what you do. You put this, and it was real small, you put it on your dog, and the first time she barks, she'll get a buzz, like miniature schnauzer or miniature chihuahua little zap. Next time she barks, it'll kind of go up to like schnauzer. Next bark, it'll be like medium-sized dog. Next bark, it'll go up to like German Shepherd. The next one is like Great Danes, right? Big. So we had a lady visiting at us, and I put it on, and... The lady, forgive me for laughing, but the dog, lady walks through the door. My dog barked once, barks again. And the next thing I know, she is spinning on the floor barking, and it's at St. Bernard. And she's literally going airborne every time the thing pulses her. And so I'm diving down. Of course, this woman's an animal lover, and she's looking at this. And I'm trying to explain, we've never done this before. And she... Didn't believe a word of it, not one single word. So I boxed that up and got my 150 bucks back and I explained to the guy what happened and now she just barks so I meet my friends in the front yard. But what I was thinking was, was that, listen, is that maybe there's a way we could get like a spiritual pacemaker that we could put in our hearts and when we're moving away from what we know is best, that thing would mule kick us and the problem is many of us would be spinning on the floor just getting kicked over and over and over again. But interestingly enough, we don't need a collar. We don't need an app on our Apple Watch. God has provided for us what we need. And I want you to listen to Hebrews 4.12. Here's what Scripture tells us about itself. Yes, the Bible self-validates itself. Hebrews 4.12. For the word of God is alive and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and the attitudes of the heart. In other words, when I open up Scripture and I begin to read the Bible, and I approach the Bible with faith, with an open heart, the Scripture self-validates itself and says, listen, when you read Scripture, Scripture has a way of coming in and doing spiritual surgery in your soul. Literally, Scripture will divide soul from spirit and will judge the thoughts, the attitudes of the heart. At the outset, there is no way our hearts can be right with God unless we are having a daily conversation with Scripture, where when I face something on the job or on grounds at UVA, there's a Scripture that speaks 
into that episode that I'm involved with. And we have a constant spiritual interplay with the Word of God. And that is one of the keyest elements for our hearts being set up for real devotion to God. Now, as we move along, the question has to be, what does Jesus say about the heart? What does Jesus have to do with our hearts? Because if he's the full revelation of God and we want to know what real devotion looks like, then we have to look at Christ because Christ is the living example of God in the flesh. And so I look at Christ and thereby I come to understand more deeply about the heart. So what we're going to do together is we're going to look at a couple of quick things about Jesus and the heart as we consider real devotion together. The first scripture is Matthew chapter 5, verses 27 and 28. Matthew 5, 27 and 28. This is the Sermon on the Mount. This is the longest teaching that Jesus does. And in verse 27 of Matthew chapter 5, Jesus speaks about adultery. And here's what Christ says. You have heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. Now, where does that come from? Why could Christ with so much confidence say, I know that you've heard it said? Where had everyone heard it? The ten, what? Commandments. Those ten laws that are at the epicenter of an Older Testament relationship with God. So Jesus, in this teaching gets up and he says, you have heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. Then he says this, verse 28, but I tell you that anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. And what Christ begins to do is he begins to make those 10 commandments a heart thing. Not just, oh, avoid that thing. And so he picks up adultery, and Jesus says that you don't have to do the act for there to be a problem with your heart. In other words, what Jesus does is he dramatically elevates the importance of the heart when it comes to a relationship with God and a relationship with people. So you might be sitting there and you might be going, whew, thank God, I don't have a problem with lusting after a woman. Here's the bad news. There are ten commandments. And so whenever you apply God's word accurately, whenever you extrapolate scripture, you realize that Jesus doesn't go through all ten But he picks one. And so as thinking followers of Jesus, what we need to do is look at all ten and say, maybe that's not my issue, but let's look maybe at one of the other ten commandments and see if we can't apply it. Because you're sitting there going, whew, thank God I don't struggle with that. What about the tenth commandment? The tenth commandment simply says this, do not covet your neighbor's wife. You might say, you should see my neighbor's wife. You wouldn't covet her either. (laughs) But then you read on. 
it says, don't covet your neighbor's man-slaves and female-slaves. And you go, whew, thank God, my neighbor does not own slaves. Next thing it says is this, also do not covet your neighbor's oxen. And you go, whoo, thank God, my neighbor has no oxen. The point of it is, to apply and extrapolate Scripture properly as followers of Jesus, we look at that and we say, how could that apply to my heart? Maybe you do not covet your neighbor's wife, but you literally covet your neighbor's house. You covet, covet their job, their cars, Maybe you covet their lawnmower. Maybe you covet their weed whacker. I don't know. But maybe there's something about your neighbor that you covet. Listen, if you start with, if you have lust for a woman in your heart, you have committed adultery with her in your heart, then now we are talking about the heart now. And you may not jump the fence and steal the thing that you're coveting because you know stealing is wrong, but what Jesus is trying to teach us is this. He elevates the heart when it comes to real devotion to God, and we must be honest about what's going on in our hearts. If you're a thinking person, though, you'll sit there and you'll go, whoa, 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 wait a minute. There's a big difference between thinking about adultery and committing the act. Jesus says spiritually, no, but the natural ramifications of it are definitely different. Let's be honest, they are different. But what Christ is teaching us is that from the heart we live. And if there's adultery in my heart, I need to take care of it there before it works itself out in the natural. Now, I don't have a problem with coveting anything of my neighbor's but his lawn. So when I look over my neighbor's fence, my neighbor takes really good care of his lawn. Now, the Bible says, thou shalt not kill. Therefore, we can extrapolate from that if I hate someone in my heart, even though I don't kill them or do something mean to them, I still have murder in my heart. When I look at my neighbor's lawn, it makes me hate him. Here's why. He is my next-door neighbor. And if you drive down my road, you'll drive by my lawn, you'll see Joe's lawn, and you'll think to yourself, what's wrong with that guy? Why doesn't he pay more attention to his lawn? And so what I've been thinking is, how can I maybe throw salt on Joe's lawn so his lawn doesn't look so good? Here's what I want to tell you. You never want to be that guy. The guy who has the best lawn or the guy who has the worst lawn. You want to be right in the happy middle. That's where I live. But the other thing you don't want to do is live next to the guy who has the best lawn. That's my neighbor Joe. So I covet his lawn. Not enough to do anything about my own, but I definitely cover his. Jesus begins to teach us that for a real devotion to God, what's in our hearts matters. It's not just that we don't act upon it, it's that it's there. 
He also said this in Matthew 12, 34, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Out of the abundance, out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. I had a Greek professor that explained it this way. He said, if you have a ketchup bottle and you squeeze it and mustard comes out, you have a problem. Same is true with our hearts, that when the squeeze is on, what comes out of our mouth does not betray what's in our hearts. It's indicative of what's there. Jesus said, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. What I want to do now is quickly take a look at an episode that deals with the heart. It's found in Matthew chapter 15 as we look a little bit further into Christ as he deals with our hearts. This one, by the way, is specifically for those of us who've been on a faith journey for a good amount of time. This episode from the life of Jesus may confront us in how we are now relating to God. It begins with the title, That Which Defiles the Heart. So we pick up our reading, and we're going to read through this whole story in Matthew 15, 1. Here's what it says. Then some Pharisees and teachers of the law came to Jesus from Jerusalem and asked, Why do your disciples break the tradition of the elders? They don't wash their hands before they eat. And Jesus replied, And why do you break the command of God for the sake of your tradition? For God said, honor your father and mother, and anyone who curses their father and mother is to be put to death. But you say that if anyone declares what, they might, have, what might have been used to help their father or mother is devoted to God. Now notice, devotion is a part of this. Supposed devotion is a part of this. So if you take your money and what you would have given to your parents to help them in their old age, if you say, oh, I devote that to God... I don't have to give it to them. Verse 6, they are not to honor their father or mother with it. Thus you nullify the word of God for the sake of your tradition. You hypocrites. There's no good way to read that. It is what it means. You hypocrites. Isaiah was right when he prophesied about you. Now he quotes from the favorite prophet, of all of the Jews during Jesus' day, the prophet Isaiah, and he says this to them, and he says, this is what the prophet Isaiah said about you. These people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. They worship me in vain. Their teachings are merely human rules. Some of you have come from churches where the rules are more important than relationship. That's not the kingdom of God. It's not. Reading on, Jesus called the crowd to him and said, listen and understand, what goes into someone's mouth does not defile them, but what comes out of their mouth, that is what defiles them. He replied, every plant that my heavenly Father has planted will be pulled up by the roots. Leave them Leave them, they are blind guides. If the blind lead the blind, both will fall into a pit. And Peter said, explain the parable to us. Verse 16, 
are you still so dull? That's not flattering either, Jesus asked them. Don't you see that whatever enters the mouth goes into the stomach, then out of the body? But the things that come out of a person's mouth come from the heart, and these defile them. For out of the heart comes evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false testimony, slander. These are what defile a person, but eating with unwashed hands does not defile them. And every young child in the room goes, hallelujah. I never have to wash my hands again before I come to the dinner table. It's not what Jesus was meaning. You see, the Pharisees had all these tangential laws that they said would prove you were right with God. And one of them was this long, elaborate ritual washing where you would wash your hands in public and it was this big public display and then when you were done, you would eat. But picture this story this way. The Bible says the Pharisees had come from Jerusalem. This means about 10 miles past Culpeper. They had walked here to this building from 10 miles past Culpeper. It would have taken them two to three days. They walk all the way here to this area, and uh, they sit down with Jesus. He's at a restaurant. He's getting ready to eat. They've walked all of that way. They come in. They're exhausted. They sit down. They look at Jesus. And what you would notice in your scriptures is that he's just fed the 5,000. He's just walked on the water. Earlier in Matthew, he had raised people from the dead. He had delivered people from demons. He had done all these miraculous signs and wonders. And they sit down across from the Son of God, and all they can see is you did not wash your hands. How pitiful is that? But that's because their hearts are hard towards God, and rules mean more than relationship. And so they walk all of that way, and they sit down in front of the Son of God, and all they can think of is you did not wash your hands. That's it. When we look at this story, we come to understand that the heart and the condition of our heart before God is absolutely critical. And what they had been doing in their private lives, instead of helping their elderly parents, they would say, all of my money is devoted to God, and they had been denying their parents. And that devotion of their finance was, was a tradition of men. It was not one of the Ten Commandments. It was not one of the laws of God. And their little rules had overcome the law of God. Here's the warning. Many of us, when we're a long time in the faith, we can slip into this so easily. We can come into the house of worship and we could say, why didn't Callie play my favorite worship tune? And then all through worship, you're sitting there going, why didn't she play my song? And we miss Jesus, who is right here, right now. Or we sit through a part of the service and there's something we don't like and so we just simply shut down. Listen, we must be a group of people with real devotion where we have on spiritual heart monitors, where we're asking ourselves, do I step into worship expecting my heart to connect with a living God? 
Or am I the type of person that comes here and I'm in the mode of griping and grumbling? And what I'm going to say next, I mean with all of my heart. If city church is not working for you, I have tons of pastoral friends around town. I will personally introduce you to them. Because what happens is, and what I've found is, is that people that grumble in one church show up and love it for about 18 months and begin to grumble about this church. Now, those of us that have been faith in faith for a long time, man, is this for us, it's for me. My Christian walk can become mundane rules instead of a thriving, alive relationship with a resurrected Christ. There's a huge, huge difference. You would find if you read on in the book of Matthew, there's an episode where Jesus gets a little even more harsher with these people who've been in the faith for a long time. Matthew 23, 24 through 26, and he looks at them and he says, you blind guides, you strain out a gnat, but you swallow a camel. That was supposed to be a joke. You missed the joke. But I looked it up. One million gnats equals one pound. One camel weighs 1,500 pounds on average. But you see, these people that have been in the faith for a long time had gotten ground down into the minutia. They were even tithing their spices to God. But even in tithing their spices, they were being brutal to people. And so Jesus said to them, how is it that you strain out a tiny little gnat? You ever run and a gnat flies in your mouth? You ever have that happen? What do you do? You swallow it. Am I right? Do you do like I do? You go, mm, oh well, just take it down. <laughs> Tell yourself that was protein or whatever the case may be. But here they are, they're so into the rules and the minutiae that they sit down with the living God. And when they sit down with the living God, all they can do is pick on a gnat. Your, your disciples did not wash their hands. And they missed the camel, the obvious, the 2,200-pound animal. That's how big they actually get. They literally become blind to what's absolutely obvious. And Jesus goes on and says this to the, the Pharisees and those that are leading. He says, Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You clean the outside of the cup and the dish, but the inside they are full of greed and self-indulgence. Blind Pharisee, first clean the inside of the cup and the dish, and then the outside will be clean. The kingdom of God is all about the heart. And we can dress a certain way, we can cut our hair a certain way, we can do all of these things that maybe speak to a Christian culture, but God does not look at the outside, he looks at the what? The heart. So Christ tries to teach even the religious leaders, worry about what's on the inside. Stop being so worried about what's on the outside. And then in closing, there's sort of the best test for the heart. 
Jesus sets up the best test for the condition of our hearts. Matthew 22, verses 34 through 40, it's the great commandment. Scripture tells us that the religious leaders still haven't come up, given up, and they come to Jesus, and one of them as an expert in the law tests Christ. And they ask him this question, teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? There's 613 laws by that point in time. And Jesus replied, love the Lord your God with what? All your what? Heart. And with all your soul and with all your mind, this is the first and greatest commandment. And all of them probably shouted, amen. And he said this, this is the first and greatest commandment, and the second is like it. The second is the one that monitors the first. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. And it's at that point where the teachers of the law and the Pharisees begin a debate. Because you can't measure your love for God, but you can sure measure how you treat people. You cannot measure your devotion to God, but you sure can measure how you treat people. And so here's what Jesus is teaching. Is if your neighbor takes great care of his lawn, don't hate him for it. Love him. If your neighbor loans you a tool, a rake, and you don't like him, do not throw the rake over the fence and wait for the yelp. Love him. If you've got someone in your life that tests your love, this is the show of our devotion to Christ. Jesus boils the whole thing down to relationship. The essence of life is our relationship with God and our relationships with people. And Jesus says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. Real devotion is all about the heart. Let's stand together as we close in worship. As we stand together in worship, and the prayer team comes forward, they're going to come forward and pray for those of us that have needs. As the prayer team comes forward, the question must be, how's your heart? How is it? Some of us are here at City Church, and we've come this morning out of a habit, and it's a good habit. But God's not looking for good habits. He's looking for open hearts. I don't believe that any of us are in this auditorium by mistake. I believe this is a divine appointment for each and every one of us. And the question has to be, how's your heart? Hebrews 12 tells us that the word of God is alive. It separates for us the attitudes, even the attitudes, the motivations of our hearts. And as you've been listening to God's word, what has God been saying to you about your heart? What has he been saying? What has he been speaking? 
Has he said to you that adultery in your heart is the same as committing the act spiritually in your heart? Do you hate someone? Let's extrapolate that verse out. If you hate someone, you have murder in your heart. If there's something in your heart that you know is not right before God, we are going to take the next few moments to make it right. The beautiful thing about God is this. He never points something out in our life without also giving the power to change it. And for some of us, when it comes to real devotion, it's time for us to look at our hearts. How's your heart? Let's go to the Lord in prayer. And then we're going to worship together. Let's pray first. Jesus, we come to you now. And we ask that by your hand and your touch and your spirit, you would soften our hearts. I pray for those of us that are in this auditorium who have hardened hearts, where the cares of this world, the temptations of this world, the stuff that's offered in the American culture, that hearts have grown hard, I pray for soft hearts. I pray for open hearts. I pray for broken hearts in your presence. God, I ask for those of us that maybe have adultery in our hearts or envy in our hearts or hatred in our hearts. I pray in this moment as we begin to confess that to you, I pray that you would transform our hearts. God, thank you for who you are and thank you for your word. Lord, I pray as people who are being called to be followers of Jesus that our hearts would be open, they'd be soft and pure in your sight. So Jesus, have your way. We pray these things in Jesus' name, in Christ's name. As we worship, I'm going to ask just for the first part that you'd keep your eyes closed. And if there's something in your heart that you know you have to make right with God, take this time to do it. Callie, lead us in worship. Lay my prayer like incense rise before you. Lifting up my hands as sacrifice. Oh, Lord Jesus, turn your eyes upon
God, we thank you for your scripture. We thank you for the work that your word does in our hearts and in our lives. I pray that the entire City Church family, that we would be a group of people who recognize you as our Savior and that our hearts are fully devoted to you. So Jesus, help us with the conditions of our hearts. As we close out our time, if you know you would like extra prayer, whether you have a need in your life, maybe it's specific to this teaching, maybe it's just that you're bearing a burden, the prayer team is down front. They're going to be here to pray with you, pray for you. I want to encourage you to take advantage of the prayer team that we have at City Church. God will meet the need of your heart and of your life as you take a step towards Him specifically in prayer. Thank you so much for being open to the Scriptures. My prayer over all of us is that this message would continue to resonate with us, not just as the Green Bay Packers win this afternoon, but throughout the rest of this week. And so may the Lord bless you. May the Lord keep you. May he cause his face to shine upon you. And may he give you peace. If you would like to stay and worship, you can. If you would like to slip out, please do so quietly. God bless you. We'll see you next Sunday along with a friend.
down my life I'm giving up control I'm never looking back I surrender all I'm living for your glory on the earth This passion in my heart this burning in my soul to see the nations bow for all the world to know i'm living for your glory on the earth for the sake of the world burn like a fire in me Light a flame in my soul for every eye to see. For the sake of the world, burn like a fire in me. This passion. This passion in my heart.
to show us more of you the more we see we'll know you the more we see we'll know you God light a fire